I'm glad you all are here this morning. Um, last week, as we looked at the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, we saw that fierce and absolute justice of our holy God revealed in that parable. And this week, we're looking at something quite different. Uh, a parable about God's scandalous grace, which comes to all people equally. And the, this story is found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. And as you make your way there, uh, I want to give you a little context, a little background for this story as it's told. Uh, chapter 19 contains the story of the rich young ruler. If you remember this story, uh, this rich young guy uh, who's in authority there in Israel comes to Jesus and he, and he asks him, How, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him, well, uh, you know what the law says, keep the commandments. And he says, well, which ones? And Jesus gives him all the ones that have to do with other people. Do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, do not commit adultery, these things. And the guy says, well, all these I've kept from my youth. He says, well, what do I still lack? He says, go and sell everything you have and come follow me and you'll have treasure in heaven. And it says, at this point, the rich man went away sad because he had great possessions. Because Jesus' purpose in telling him that was not that he give away everything, but to reveal that this guy had, though he thought of himself, as a commandment keeper, had in reality violated both of the first two commandments, which are, you shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not make an idol of anything. And what did he have? He had his wealth as a god that he worshipped and served. And so, having watched this conversation go down, the disciples turn to him and they say, Hey, Jesus, we left everything to follow you. What are we going to have? What do we get out of this deal? Because after all, we have left our businesses, we've left our families, we've left our boats, we've left our fishing nets, we've left our entire life behind to go follow you around for the last couple years, what are we going to have out of this? Is there going to be any reward for us? And Jesus gives him two answers. One is to say this, uh, and this is from chapter 19, verse 28. Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who will be who are first will be last and the last first. And then he also, by way of answering their question, tells them this story here in chapter twenty. So if you've got your Bible at this point, open to chapter twenty of Matthew and you're able, if you'd stand as we read what the Word of God says. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. 
After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. And so they went. And going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing, and he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last, up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. And when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. He replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? For the last will be first, and the first last. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, help us to not only understand this story, but to apply it to our hearts. About a God who is amazing in His grace to every person who comes to Him. And Father, help us to deepen our understanding of Your grace. Instead of jockeying for position, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, um, you should, you should, I think, as you approach this story, you should have some sympathy for these day laborer workers. Uh, these guys are, are day laborers. Uh, day labor is almost always done by people who don't have a lot of other skills. And it's almost always, even in our day, very hard work for very little pay. Uh, in our culture, um, a lot of people who take day labor work are recent immigrants. A lot of times of questionable legality. And so if you are in a big city like Dallas, I remember this when Karen and I lived there, if you knew when to be there, you could go to the Home Depot and sit in the parking lot and you would see at one end of it, on these picnic tables that Home Depot had built for the purpose, there'd be a bunch of guys that were recent immigrants, typically from Mexico, but also Guatemala and other places, and they'd be sitting there. And there would be these pickup trucks that were usually white that would come rolling by, and they'd stop for a few minutes, and like ten of these guys would go get in the back of the truck, and then they'd be gone for the day. And they don't know, the person who's hiring them, they don't know how much they'll really be paid, because, you know, the thing is, when you're being hired for the day and you're being hired by someone you don't know and to do who only knows what, and it's cash on the barrel head at the end of the day, how much are you really going to get paid? 
I know what the man said, but how do we know? Because it's a situation ripe for exploitation. Amen? Because who are these guys going to tell if you don't pay them? Or if you don't pay them what you said? They're not going to turn you in. If they do, they might run afoul of ice. So a lot of times, people who are doing this are doing it because they have a lack of other good options. And so you should have some sympathy for these workers in the field. And, um, and on top of that, the situation in Jesus' day wasn't, it wasn't exactly like it is in our day. But the potential for exploitation is similar. In fact, if you read the Old Testament prophets, what you'll see is they frequently denounce the rich in Israel for cheating their hired help and withholding their pay and shorting the amount. The book of James addresses this same kind of issue of you have cheated the people who work for you who are dependent on their work for the day being able to feed themselves. And as in our day, if you're a day laborer, your wages are much lower than if you're a full-time employee for somebody or somebody who has a skilled trade or in, is in a full-time job. And day, but, but also, as in our day, day labor is often what separates you from starving. And so if you, if you uh, need work and you'd rather, you'd, rather, uh, you'd rather work hard and get paid a little bit than go hungry and not work, then day labor is often your, your solution to that. But here in this story, what we meet is a good and a generous boss. At the beginning of the workday at 6 a.m., this vineyard owner, the master of a house, goes out and he hires a bunch of workers and he tells them he will pay them a denarius for their labor. Now, denarius is a Roman coin. It originally, uh, the word, the, the prefix on the front of that is a Roman prefix for ten. And it originally was a coin you could use to purchase ten donkeys. So it was a fairly valuable piece of silver. And... Uh, it's a, it's a weight also, just under four grams of silver. It was the standard wage for a day's work for a professional Roman soldier or a, the standard wage for a day's work for a skilled tradesman. Somebody who, who had a skilled labor job, not a day labor job. And so, uh, if you're a day laborer, you were typically paid much less. You were typically paid just barely enough to feed yourself for the day. So the offer of a full denarius for a day's labor is a generous offer. It's more than any of these men have any right to expect, legally or culturally or otherwise. And so they naturally agree, even though it's 6 o'clock in the morning, to go and work. You're going to give me a full denarius? Fantastic. This is a wildly generous offer on the part of the vineyard owner. And so uh, they go out and work. And the vineyard owner goes back 
out about 9 o'clock. And he offers to give them, he doesn't say a full denarius this time, he says, I will give you whatever is right. And so then he goes back out again at noon, and then again at 3 p.m. And at this point, it's obvious that the vineyard must be massive to hire this many people in succession over the course of the day because the owner is in constant need of more workers even as the day is drawing to an end. But still, you know, if you think about it, you know, nine hours of work or six hours of work or even three hours of work by a large enough crew, there's still a good amount of work being done. And all of these guys, when they go and work, are just hoping that at the end of the day, they get enough to keep body and soul together for one more day. But here's where the story takes this unexpected turn. Because the owner of the vineyard goes out one more time at the end of the day, at 5 o'clock. Quitting time's at 6. He goes out at 5 and he sees some guys standing around an hour before quitting time. And the vineyard owner goes back to the square and he talks to these fellows and he says, he says, why are you still here? And they said, because nobody has hired us. They've been there all day. Eleven hours of the work day are gone. You know what kind of guy is still there at 5 o'clock, an hour before quitting time? Somebody who is desperate for work. Somebody who's in need. Maybe it's a guy who's older, or a guy who's weaker, or who's otherwise less qualified to work. You know, like, I remember when, uh, when, when I was in, in junior high and high school, you know, you would choose up teams for things like basketball and whatever. I was always like the la- among like the last three guys picked for basketball. <laughs> okay. Uh, short and dumpy is apparently not a good qualification for basketball teams, right? And uh, if you're built like a hobbit, basketball is not your thing. And, um, and so... so so I was like never picked at the beginning, right? I would be the kind of guy picked at 5 o'clock for basketball, right? And, and these are the kind of guys who are still there. And what they're doing is they're hoping, hoping that somebody will be a good and generous and compassionate boss even at that late hour of the day. And what's amazing is that they find just such a person. This vineyard owner is just that kind of man. A good and a generous and a compassionate boss. And he says, I will hire all of you and go out and work in my vineyard. There's honestly that not that much work to be done. I mean, they still have to walk from there to the vineyard and then get started. So how much real work time are we really talking about here? It isn't even a full hour. And yet he hires them all to work 
the hour between 5 and 6. And the story gets crazier from there because he, he has his foreman pay them in, rever in reverse order. Starting with the last ones. And the last guy's hired at 5 p.m. and he tells the, the foreman, pay them all a full, den full denarius. Now keep in mind, denarius was good wages if you got hired at 6 a.m., if you got hired at 5 p.m., you were rejoicing beyond rejoicing because you're like, I got a full day's pay. I got a full day's pay for not even an hour's worth of work. This is awesome. Right? You went home rejoicing. And, and notice in the story, no one is hired, who is hired after 6 a.m. is told what they're going to even be paid. He just says, I'll pay you whatever is right. And so the guys at 3 p.m. come, they get a denarius. They're like, hallelujah! I got paid a full day's pay for a skilled tradesman for a three hours unskilled work. Picking grapes. I mean, how hard a job is this, right? You can probably train a chimp to pick grapes off a vine. And I got paid a, more than a full day's pay for three hours' work. Same as, same as the guys at noon. They're like, man, this is fantastic. The guys that got hired at nine, oh, man, I made out like a bandit today. Can you imagine the story they're telling their wife when they get home? Man, I, I can't wait. I hope he's hiring tomorrow. Because this is fantastic. Everyone hired goes away feeling great about their good fortune. Can you believe how well we're being paid today? Everybody is getting more than they deserve, more than they have any right to expect because they recognize they are being given something that's, a very, that's very precious. Five-letter word. Starts with G. Ends in race. <laughs> right? they, they, have, they have been given abundant grace by this vineyard owner and they are appreciating it and enjoying it. And that really is the point of verses 1-10 through 10, that we who labor for the Lord are all receiving more than we deserve. More than we deserve. See, in the story Jesus is telling, God is the vineyard owner. And all of us believers in Christ are the workers in His vineyard. And our payment at the end of the day is our entry into the kingdom of heaven. And everyone is getting the same measure of grace whether they are excellent workers of the type that are hired at the beginning of the day or whether... They are pretty good workers of the sort you would get at nine or decent workers of the sort you would get at three or just sorry workers of the sort that would still be standing around at five. Whoever we are, we get the same grace. And there's the same gracious invitation being given and the same entry that is afforded to everyone who responds. And so the disciples who were the first people to follow Jesus, 
and the priests and the Levites who followed Him later, and the good and religious people who recognized their need and put their faith in Jesus, and the desperate and the addicted and the harlot and the criminal and the bum and the ne'er-do-well and the guys in their last moments like the thief on the cross. They all get the same entry into the kingdom. Every single one. Guys like you, guys like me, who respond to the Master's invitation all get the same grace from the Master and we all enjoy access to the Savior who loves us. I want to read you a line from John MacArthur because it's so good. He says this, Your place in heaven is not a timeshare where your access is determined by the length of time you spent doing the Lord's work. Forgiveness is not measured by weighing our good deeds against our sin, nor is it partially withheld if you have sinned for too long or too badly. Everyone who enters the kingdom receives the full abundance of God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. Isn't that good? Everyone who enters the kingdom receives the full abundance of God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. And that ought to cause us, men and women, to rejoice. Amen? It ought to cause us all to rejoice because the master of the house is giving all of us far more grace than we have any right to expect. And we ought to all rejoice that we're all recipients of such great grace and have the privilege then of serving the Master who is our good and gracious and generous Lord Jesus Christ. But that isn't everyone's reaction, is it? It's kind of interesting. As you look at this story, verses 11 and 12, you'll see that the guys that got hired at 6 a.m. are feeling a bit gypped. And they start to complain. In fact, the word complain is a great word in, in Greek. It's actually an onomatopoeia. Okay? It sounds like this. Egogudzon. <laughs> okay? Can you hear the complaining that's in there? Okay? It's like, it's like, egogudzon. You know, I mean, it's that, it's that, it sounds like what it is. Okay? They're kind of muttering and complaining against the Master. And they start saying things like, hey, why don't we get more than the denarius? After all, everybody else got that and we had to bear the entire weight of the entire day. We worked a full day in the heat and these guys that got hired at five, have you seen those guys? I mean, one of those dudes has only got like one arm. And he got the same thing I got. What gives? And honestly, from a certain perspective, it does feel a little unjust, right? It's a little scandalous. Come on. Modern day labor lawyer would definitely take this case and he would probably win because it's not fair. But look at what the vineyard owner says. 
in verses 13 to 15. Look at what the text says here. Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? In other words, let me put it in modern English. Buddy, it is my money. And I can do with it what I want. If I, I was generous with you and I paid you more than you could have expected, more than you had any right legally to, and I gave you more than you deserved. And you happily took the job. So mind your business. What I pay other people is not really your concern. I'm being just as generous with them as I was with you. Why do you look askance at me when I'm also generous to other people? And the parable concludes with this line. So the last will be first and the first last. And that confuses a lot of people. But what I think Jesus is saying is this is that our human evaluation of our own worthiness doesn't count and in fact is upside down from Jesus' evaluation of the same thing. And He sees us all, those who we would rank first and those whom we would put last as equally undeserving and equally as recipients of His grace. And so He, in love, bestows grace on all of us. And so that those whom we would be inclined to put last seem to come out further ahead. And if that seems unjust to us, it's only because we don't see ourselves rightly in the way that He does. We are all equally undeserving to enter into the Master's kingdom. We're all sinners. If God was fully just with all of us, we would have been, on, been in hell on a rocket ship already. Amen? And so the fact that we are not, the fact that we are all recipients of God's grace, whether you're holy or a harlot, in your background, right? Whether you are, whether you are, uh, were raised in a Christian home or raised in a criminal home, we're all as lost as lost can be, and we've all, if we've received the gospel, received far more grace than we had any right to expect. And so what Jesus here is doing is He intends us, He intends for disciples and intends for us to learn some things. And what He intends, first of all, for us to learn is that none of us deserve His gift. None of us are ever going to be able, when we get to heaven and stand before God, to say, you're welcome. 
Aren't you glad I'm here finally? Right? We're not going to be... God doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't owe us anything. And so He treats all of us and loves all of us uh, whether we're harlots and criminals or accountants and auto mechanics, uh, whether we're religious guys or rebels, He invites all of us to respond to Him in faith and to go serve Him with whatever portion of life we have left. Maybe you came to Christ early in your life and so you've got the full 12 hours to serve the Lord. Maybe you came to Christ on your deathbed and you're not sure that He's going to let you in. You're going to honor the Lord with whatever portion of life you have left. Yeah, from your hospital bed. Either way, we're called to serve the Lord with whatever portion of life we have left to us. Second thing, we need to see that God is sovereign in our salvation. And we don't determine when we are called. Don't, don't determine that. Sometimes people look back on their life and they go, why didn't, why, I wish I had come to Christ sooner. I wish I had known uh, all of this sooner. I wish I had, had not had to go through all the things that I went through prior to coming to know Christ. But here's the deal. God's purposes are His own and He might have let us live our life on our own for a little bit, away from Him, precisely so that when the invitation to believe in Jesus came, we would be ready to hear it and would then believe. And He may, he may have waited until 9 o'clock or noon or 3 or even 5 so that when the invitation to us came, we would believe. The third thing we need to see here is that God gives all of us more than we deserve. Our salvation, our salvation is a free gift. It is a gracious gift. It's free. And none of us deserve it. If we could work for our salvation, it would not come to us by grace. But because it is by grace, it is not by our works. And if we get the privilege of serving the Lord with any portion of our lives, that is even more grace. He doesn't need us, but He saves us. And then He invites us to serve Him. And then on top of that, blesses us for having done so. How about that as a deal? Right? He doesn't need us, but He does love us. And He saves us by grace. And He gives us His Holy Spirit by grace. He puts us in a community like this by grace. And He invites us to serve Him with the gifts that He gave us by grace. And then, if we do, He rewards us when we get into heaven by grace. How about that? You know, when my kids were little, you know, we, we would... They would have the, the Christmas store at the elementary school. I don't know if they still do this or not, okay? But they used to do this thing where they would have like this, this Christmas shopping thing that the kids would do when they were little. 
And so what we would do, being good parents, we would give them money, and then they would go shopping for Christmas gifts to give us. Right? And I, I, I remember getting some very nice cologne samples and some other things <laughs> out of this deal. Okay, a keychain that I still have. I kept all of this stuff, all of the cologne I wore. Um, but, um, but, you know, it was, it was kind of a cool deal, but it also reminded me a lot of what God does with us. He gives us everything, and then we give it back to Him. And He is pleased with our gift. Even though, just like with little kids' Christmas presents, where'd they get the money? From Dad. That's who, right? So who gave me the gift? I did. I just funneled it through their hands, right? And God does the same thing with us. He gives us everything and then He allows us to serve Him with what He gave us in the first place. And finally, and most importantly, we should see this, that we should always celebrate the grace of God to us and to other people, even when it, dis it seems to be distributed differently than seems right to us. See, this is where the rubber meets the road for a lot of us. Because we can tend to look at our brothers and sisters in Christ and we can be envious sometimes. I can tell you that sometimes as a pastor, I can look around at guys I went to seminary with or guys that I know that I'm friends with. I can go, well, how come, Lord, they get a different deal than the one I get? Right? I mean, I'm a better preacher than he is. Or how come, or how come that guy is doing that and I'm doing this? He makes more money than me. He seems to whatever. Right? Now I know that none of you would ever have that thought about anyone else in our body of Christ. All right, but pastors sometimes struggle with these kinds of thoughts, right? Where the grace of God seems unevenly distributed. And sometimes rather than rejoice in the fact that God gave someone else different grace than He gave you, we can look at the Lord and complain. We start thinking, we start out thinking of ourselves, most of us, as the guys hired at five. And we sometimes, if we're not careful, as we put in years of walking with Jesus and serving the Lord, we start thinking of ourselves as the guys hired at six. And we start developing their attitude. Well, you know, I've known the Lord a lot longer. So why does that why does that not seem to work out for me the way it works out for them? How come all their kids walk with Jesus and not all of mine do? How come their marriage seems happier and his wife seems to like him better than my wife likes me? Or my husband is this way and her husband is that way. And how, how that doesn't seem right. 
I wish I was married to her husband. I wish I was married to his wife. I wish their kids were my kids. I wish my church was that way instead of this way. We can start to have these kinds of things. Jesus' point here is this. That looking at the grace of God that is given to us, we should rejoice in the grace that we have received rather than complain against the Master for not giving us grace in exact same circumstances as someone else. So if you're tempted to complain or envy or question the Lord's wisdom over your life, I have one word for us all. Stop. And then another one, repent. And decide that instead of complaining, what you're going to do is rejoice. Because men and women, we're all getting far better than we deserve. Amen? You're all getting far better than we deserve. And it's far better to rejoice in the grace and generosity of our good and loving Master who gives us the privilege of serving Him with our lives than to complain and argue and envy those to whom the grace of God comes differently than it comes to us. Because we all are recipients of enormous, enormous amounts of grace. Amen? So let's pray. Father, it is easy for us to be like the children of Israel who were fed daily with the bread that came down from heaven, who drank water from the rock, who saw the miracles that you did in the wilderness, who dwelt Uh, in your presence in a visible way, who heard you speak from the mountain, who saw the waters divide, who saw their deliverance from the most powerful empire in the world at the time, and who took all of these things for granted and asked, is the Lord really among us or not? Is he really providing for our needs or not? And to complain and to look askance at the grace we have received. Father, deliver us from that attitude. Deliver us from a complaining and discontented heart. And fill our heart instead with joy at the enormous grace that we have received from Your hand in Christ who laid down His life for us, was raised from the dead to give us new life, who gave us Your Holy Spirit, who put us in community with other believers, who gave us the Word that we might know You, who directs our life in every way, who blesses us in every moment of every day far more than we even realize. Father, help us not to be complainers, but to rejoice in Your grace both to us and to other people. And Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.